Good evening and welcome to the Gallery of Curiosities. You can imagine how busy it's been getting ready for Halloween. October is always our busiest month of the year. Even my chorus has gotten into the mood. I didn't know he could play the theremin. If you could bottle that sound, I wonder what it would smell like. I wonder who that could be. Trick or treat! My, 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 aren't you the little charmer? Holy cow, mister! That's the freakiest looking costume I've ever seen! And what, pray tell, are you dressed as? Wait, let me guess. The corpse bride. What are you talking about? I'm a princess! Of course you are. Here, here's an apple. If you're lucky, there's a razor blade in it. Happy trails. Good luck on your subsequent trips. An apple? Are you kidding me? No kid wants an apple for Halloween. You could at least have melted some caramel over it. The guy next door is giving out bags of chips and full-size chocolate bars. Well, he's a dentist, and he can afford it. You're weird. Please, child. Flattery will get you nowhere with me. Seriously? Are apples all you've got? Well, now that you mention it, I do believe I have some jawbreakers in the closet. Now you're talking my language. Are they the licorice ones that change colors? They are from the Inquisition. The what? Check for yourself. First door on the right. No one expects the Inquisition. Oh, what a shame. She forgot her apple. Well, of course I was only joking about the razor blade. What sort of a monster do you take me for? I save the razor blades for April Fool's Day. Our first story this evening comes to us from John Cooper Hamilton a writer of humorous genre fiction, or literary fiction when he thinks he can get away with it. His many interests include role-playing games, board games, war games, card games, and video games. He lives in Ohio, dividing his time between games and convincing his family to play games. The Greatest Zombie Story Ever, by John Cooper Hamilton. No one jumped at the rapping on the bunker door. It was quick, and could barely be heard over the quiet sounds of conversation coming from each table, the faint hiss of the radio, and the slow, implacable shuffling from the street above. If it had been a Z, it would have been a slow hammering and loud, and the men and women in the bunker would have done more than jump. The doorman peered through a grill, engaged in a muttered exchange with whomever was outside, 
then stepped back and yanked the door's lever. The heavy door swung open. The man who emerged from the dark utility tunnel wore a tuxedo, torn and dirtied by an hour's flight from the Z's. He wasn't the only one in the bunker wearing a tux, though most were very well-dressed. Several of the women wore gowns, or the remains of gowns. The thin fabric hadn't stood up well to the panic. Unlike any of the other refugees in the bunker, the man who'd just entered had only one arm. There was no empty sleeve, either hanging loose or folded and pinned. The tux had been altered for a one-armed man. As the man walked toward the bar, there were no sounds but the hiss of the radio, the horrifying shuffling, and his own quiet footsteps. He was trim, if jowly, his brown hair gray at the temples. His gaze shifted from face to face as he passed, but met no one's eye. He knew they knew. It was the arm. There were plenty of one-armed men these days, but not enough to expect more than one from the night's award ceremony, not with a tailored tux. Still, he was allowed to sit and order a drink before someone said, You're him, aren't you? Albro, this is all your fault. The man, Russell Albro, didn't answer immediately. He didn't even turn until he'd taken a sip of his Mountain Valley spring water. He looked up and surveyed the hostile faces around him, beyond hostile, scared and angry, like he hadn't seen since the first years of the disaster. Yes, he said at last, and okay, maybe it is my fault. Okay, some of you want to kill me. A growl rumbled through the room. Russell shied back. Okay, fine. Some heat came into his voice. But you, and you, and you, he gestured with a nod of his head, with his chin, not his arm. Would you all be dressed up if it wasn't for me? Would any of you, any of you, be living so well if it wasn't for me? There was muttering. Russell paid it no attention. Yeah, I don't think so. Showing all his teeth, Russell smiled brightly. All of you bought into the dream. I'm proud of what I've done. Hell, you all should be too. None of us did anything wrong. The industry has always had its detractors. His eyes flicked towards the bunker window where a shuffling foot, broken at the ankle, dragged a bright red high-heeled pump across the pavement. But we've all got to eat. Russell watched as many of those in the bunker looked away, at least briefly, but not all. He met the hostile stares of a few, then sighed. Listen, he said, I'm not the villain here. Really. Look at things from my point of view. Then ask yourself if I did anything wrong. His arm up on the bar, Russell leaned back, making himself comfortable. There was a woman in a green gown glaring particularly balefully. He tossed her a wink. First, I didn't make the world. The scientists still say that the asteroid, the India-Pakistan nuke exchange, and the zombie apocalypse all hit in the same day was just coincidence. Russell lifted his arm in an elaborate shrug. I'm not an egghead. I don't know. But I was years scrabbling to survive just like the rest of you. You're not now, said the woman in green. Russell shrugged. Yeah, things got better when the Z's were driven off and contained. But we all still had to eat, right? When you, hey, you're Bob Ullman, right? Advertising, yeah? Hey. Anyway, lady, you were probably safe in L.A., 
I was in one of the last anti-Z units. We learned a lot about the Zs, you know, not just how to kill them, but how to get them to do what we wanted. Animal psychology is what they said. The Zs could be manipulated. Better than animals, really, since they still have some language. He paused, looking out the window. Shuffling. Shuffling. A single moan. Russell shook his head. Well, they need to be prompted. Anyway, they can be manipulated and controlled. And I had a damn good idea. A great idea. I put in my own money at the beginning, you know? I risked my own neck going into the zombie badlands to do shoots. First, we remade all the old classic zombie movies. I bet you all saw them, didn't you? Most of those in the bunker nodded, if grudgingly. But Russell hadn't stopped to secure their agreement. He was still talking. People love them. A release, the critics said. And screw the special effects of the pre-disaster movies, we had the real deal. People, people like all of you, came in droves. We learned more about disease from working with them. The government put money into the films if we'd help with the research, and we got to know all the latest from the scientists. I was one of the first to find out about the Z-complex virus, about how the disease infects and controls the dead. Any dead. I really read, you know, all the research. I had my next big idea. Seeking approval, Russell offered another smile to the room. Getting no takers, he shrugged again and continued. You all remember the remake of The House of Seven Corpses. I know you do. The ad blitz, the biggest thing since the disaster. A remake of a pre-disaster movie with the original leads. Russell nodded in satisfaction. He lifted his eyes above his audience, remembering. It was tricky, but we did it. Some Z-complex hopped up on gene splicing, some plastic surgery, and yeah, a hell of a lot of makeup. And it worked. It was fantastic. The leads could even do their own stunts. You just needed to keep a plastic surgeon on retainer and pay the wardrobe ladies the ones with their nice sewing kits overtime. Russell looked back to the people around him, looking from face to face, making eye contact. It made the whole city rich. We were Tinseltown again. A woman, not one wearing a gown, said, It wasn't the same. Russell shrugged. It never is. And I grant you, it was expensive. Very expensive. We had the equivalent of a big special effects budget, but all in zombie wranglers, biologists, psychologists, doctors. A lot of doctors. Russell reached up and tapped his right shoulder where his arm should have been. Moving props, blocking, setting up shots. You know what directing a movie has a lot of? Pointing, that's what. And you know who loves fingers? Yeah, Z's, that's who. Now we have two guys on crew full-time who just stand around with machetes. They get paid as much as I do, because even some poor bastard who's screaming and holding his stub of a hand, he won't listen to somebody who makes less than he does. Not quickly. Not even the second time. I learned that the hard way. That even applies to the talent. You know what? We tell them how we pay them, and how much. It's rats in the thousands. They like knowing. They need to know. They boast about it sometimes. Sometimes the night is full of them groaning salary figures at each other, cage to cage. The bunker shared a collective shudder while Russell took a pull from his bottle of water. 
he said, Yeah, no. Russell stared at the wall a moment, absentmindedly wiping his mouth on his sleeve. Then his smile was back. The thing is, the last time, when I was recovering, I had my next big idea, and it was fantastic, too. I had a lot of time on my, my hand, so I said, what the hell? Why not write? Who wouldn't want an all-new, original screenplay zombie movie? Everybody would want it, that's who. A true tale for our post-everything society, and with an all-star cast. All the old greats, at least the ones buried where we could get them. Russell lifted his bottle, as if in salute. The greatest zombie story ever told. That's what I promised, and it was. It was fantastic. The greatest thing ever. You know it. Barb, the woman in green, said, You're a hack. It... It fucking put this town back on the map. That's what it did. L.A. was going back to the fucking desert before I got here, and you fucking know it. Russell drained the last of his mineral water and slammed the bottle on the bar with a thud. You all know it. He leaned forward, mouth set in a straight line. Again, he looked from face to face, this time challengingly. Barb looked away. Someone called out, Screw you! Russell laughed. He turned to the bartender. Got anything stronger? The man shook his head and put down another bottle of Mountain Valley. Russell shoved a few bills across the bar, then jerked his head towards the bottle. Hey, check this out. We're still in Bel Air, even if it's changed. He nodded to the woman who'd spoken earlier. We can put a staffed wet bar in every shelter, but thanks to the disaster, we can't bring in enough liquor to stock them. We just don't have the cash. But I was working on the problem. Greed is good, yes? Paradise, it was epic. But movies are still a small part of the entertainment pie. What did we need, all of Tinseltown? Me and all of you? We needed something to catapult film back on top. We needed advertising the public would beg for. Right, Barb? I remember you. You were at the damn meeting. We needed tonight. We needed an award show. Barb yelled, We didn't need it like fucking this! At the scritch scritch sound, everyone in the bunker looked up at the window. The glint of gold cufflinks set off a dead gray hand, its three fingers clawing at the glass block. Behind the hand, a $500 haircut topped a $2,500 surgically restored face. All that money couldn't hide the lifelessness of the eyes, eyes that had once twinkled and charmed millions. The bartender stepped under the window, pulled a cord, and a shutter slapped down over the window. It started well, said Russell, intruding on the momentary hush. I bet you all saw it on TV, didn't you? Those of you who weren't there. He glanced towards where the tuxes and gowns clustered. We had it all. The glitter. The lights, the red carpet treatment, the talent dressed to the nines, and the zombie wranglers and machete men in white and dressed black and fancy red. The Z's even all clapped on cue, did you see? You have no idea how long we spent with staplers setting that up. And then, seriously, who could have guessed? There's no way we could have known. The technical awards, top wrangler, best cut, best editing, best stitching, those went to non-talent. It was when the acting awards came up that things went bad. 
They were supposed to be the big draw. People care about those. That, of course, was the problem. A man at the table near the door spoke, sounding sour. Animal psychology. Russell beamed. Hey, that's right. So much for animal psychology, yeah? They keep saying that's all they are, but they're not animals. Did you see Zombie Clooney when Zombie Portier got Best Supporting Actor? Yeah, sure you didn't. He wasn't on camera. But I did. They can't show a lot of emotion, you know? Not after the chemical peels and pins. You didn't know that, did you? All right, so what we do, you see, is have the surgeons put in these screw pins so we can adjust their expressions when... When he registered the grimaces around him, Russell stopped. He blinked a few times. Okay, sorry. You don't care about that. Anyway, Clooney, lips pulled back to show those big jagged teeth, bloodshot eyes bulging, screwed upwards. I know what I saw on zombie Clooney's face, and it was hate and rage and hunger. Not the usual hunger, the hunger that's there all the damn time. A new kind of hunger. Envy. Russell shook his head in gentle dismay. Actors, am I right? There was a shared murmur of agreement. It came to a head with Best Actress. Zombie Hepburn versus Zombie Turner, all teeth and false nails. It was... Yeah, we could have charged a mission just for that. So the riot... So the Z's overwhelming the Wranglers and the guards, and all of us good folks back in the bunkers, like it's the bad old days again. An angry muttering filled the bunker. Russell noticed Barb talking earnestly to the men at her table, pointing at him. Hey, wait! Russell started to put his hand out, palm forward, as if to make a placating gesture. Then he abruptly pulled it back. He shook his head vigorously instead. Raising his voice, Russell said, Hey, now! Look, people, I'm sure everybody, most everybody, made it to the shelters. The army's gonna come in any minute, put the talent back in their cages, and they can stay there for all I care. I can see now that was wrong. I can make it good. How? asked another man at the bar. One of the women, holding up her torn gown with one hand, called out, What are you talking about? And there were other questions, some shouted, and a number of insults. Russell waited. Calm, unruffled, he sipped at his water. Soon the noise drew the Z's attention. Scratching could be heard at the window again, along with more moans. The Z's weren't going to get in. But no one liked the attention, liked hearing the unquiet dead. The bunker shut up. Russell paused a few moments more, letting the Z activity subside. Finally, voice low, he continued. Just listen to me, all right? There was way too much cult of personality, you know what I mean? It was way too hard to maintain the illusion. And the old names, they just don't resonate that much anymore. It's a whole new world, right? But economics is still the same. I got another great idea. A fantastic idea. Raising his voice again in his enthusiasm, Russell said, Let's look at what's going on out there. Open up the damn window, man. Let us see. No? Then I'll tell you what's going on out there. Drama. Sensation. That's the world we live in now, and that's what people want. Russell paused, letting people turn to him, looks of doubt on their faces. Then he smiled, wide and bright and confident. Yeah, it is. It is what they want to see, if it's on a screen. What I'll do is, I'll take the whole production company out into the Badlands. We'll stage things when we need to, but they're restless out there, you know? 
They form groups, packs. They compete. There's only so much prey. They race, they steal, they fight. It's pure gold. I don't know how I didn't see it before. Screw feature films. I want episodes. Keep people on the hook. After a program or two is popular, it will happen. I get volunteers. Hell, people will kill to come out and be stars. You know it. And people will watch wanting to be stars. Man and woman against the Z's. No expensive wranglers. Okay, probably extra machete, guys. But no plastic surgeons, unionized overtime seamstresses, or whatever. It'd be just like the old days. Not the really old days, but the good old days of rock-bottom production costs, no writers, and no scripts. Just people being people, and Z's being Z's. I can see some of you are interested. No, it's okay, Barb, really. Come on, I love you. Anybody else? In the biz? You want in the biz? Just want to invest? Let's talk. Let's do it. Hey, I've already got the name. Reality TZ. Z, get it? Come on. What do you think? And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the greatest zombie story ever by John Cooper Hamilton. Do visit his website at johncooperhamilton.com. It was read this evening by Matt Zophile, a carnival ringmaster with a mysterious past. When not narrating bizarre horror tales, he drives a vintage armored military transport carrying a post-apocalyptic burlesque troupe from Las Vegas, bringing culture and beauty to the nuclear wastelands. Our second story comes to us from... Excuse me, this will not take long. Trick or treat! Trick. Go away. Our second story this evening comes to us from Spencer Coley, a depraved bisexual and pagan idolater. He earns his daily crust doing non-profit development work. When not screaming into the void, he passes his spare time watching cancelled television series on DVD coping with mixed feelings about horror movies and reading short fiction. He supports intersectional feminism and has a very long graves to defile list. Visit him online at spencercoley.com. This story appeared previously in Andromeda Spaceways in-flight magazine. It will be read for you this evening by Noni Constantine. The Death Mounts Rider by Spencer Coley A shadow tore across the desert, trailing green flame. It stood out among the other shadows cast by the soft glow of sunset, even at a distance. The bolt of darkness, shot with emerald, stopped at the town of Cobalt Point. 
Sam Weathers saw the apparition first. He'd been cleaning out the saloon's latrines at the time. To be more accurate, he had been leaning on a mop outside, admiring the sunset. Sam hated most of the things about Cobalt Point. He hated the heat, he hated the dust, and he hated the monotonous talk of silver and steam engines. He loved the sunsets dearly. He drank in the waves of orange-pink caressing Widow's Mountain as purple darkness raced between the jagged rock formations. Amidst all those rich magentas, pale oranges, and dark violets, a spark of bright green burned into his eyes. Sam had never seen anything so green in his 17 years of life. The plants around here tended towards pale yellow-green like the corn and wheat, or bluish-green like the cacti. As it drew closer, he could see the shadows parting around the green fire. Something was wrong. Something in the way it moved didn't look real. He couldn't pin down what, exactly. Did it jump from shadowed place to shadowed place without occupying intervening space? Did it hover just above the ground? The ineffable quality made his eyes water, but he couldn't look away. Other residents of Cobalt Point began to notice. Granny Stuckers nearly choked on her pipe. Little girls squealed with excitement until their frightened mothers pulled them inside. Old Man McFinn squeezed his crucifix. Anyone without pressing business hid. A single spectator leaned out over the widow's walk of the courthouse, but then jumped back with a curse. Anything this fast must make a racket, Sam thought. The burning darkness grew closer in utter silence. It certainly didn't look angelic, but it didn't seem like the hellfire of the preacher's description either. Those flames were always cherry red or blazing orange. It drew nearer still, whipping past the cobalt point sign. Just as Sam Weathers remembered to fear, it became too late for him to run. The flaming shade grew up with a soft, silky sound. A skeletal horse reared up in front of him. Its mane and tail were emerald fire, and green sparks flew from its hooves. Terror petrified Sam. He couldn't even raise his arms to shield his face. He took in the bridle of twisted leather on its head, the saddle covered in thick, fur-lined padding, the silver stirrups at its side, and the broad figure on its back, wreathed in the ghoulish green light, but unburnt. Whoa there! Whoa! The rider shouted. Her voice was clear and strong. The skeleton set all four hooves firmly on the ground and lowered its head. The grass at its feet smoldered. The stranger hopped down off her mount. She wore a man's clothes and a broad white hat. She had muscles like a blacksmith and fat like a butcher. Scars crisscrossed her dark face. She might have been a light Indian or a white woman who'd seen too much sun. Her lips were haunted by the faintest ghost of a smile. She glanced up at the Silver Bullet Saloon. She stared right at Sam. Poker game in there? He nodded. She strode in. The death mount pawed the earth with its hoof. Sam lingered outside for a while, watching the skeleton horse. It didn't rear up and snap its fleshless jaws. It didn't radiate an aura of evil. It shifted its feet a bit and turned its head towards him. 
The green light flickered in its eye sockets. The flaming mane didn't seem to generate any heat. It certainly didn't burn the fancy plush saddle or the black studded reins. He recalled some rumor about the woman with the skeletal horse. Wendy Rhodes was her name. The only details the stories agreed on were that she only rode during the twilight hours and death followed in her wake. An overly optimistic fly buzzed over the death mount's hip bone. One snap of its tail turned the insect into a whiff of white smoke. Sam backed away from the horse and hurried inside. Sam helped his mother at the bar. A small part of this job involved serving drinks. More importantly, he signaled to her when a customer became too wasted to tell yesterday's rock gut from a seven-year-old scotch and distracted rowdy drunks long enough until a mom could pacify them with her hickory club. Sam entered the room just as his mother finished flirting with the regular. He checked the stock and ducked around back to fetch another crate of whiskey. When he returned, the stranger who just rode in on that unnatural horse sidled up to the bar and looked him in the eye. A shot of bourbon, a shot of rum, a shot of brandy, and a sliver of cow tongue, all in one glass, she said, her thin accent untraceable. Sam thought that mixture sounded like an ipecac, but the customer was always right. As he carved the meat, he reflected that a woman with an unusual horse might have unusual tastes. Maybe she wasn't even human herself. Didn't witches and warlocks drink strange brews? The moods in the bar shifted like a change in the weather. Loud conversations dropped to whispers. The stream of guffaws dried up into puddles of shrill laughter. Great hatred was being restrained by greater fear. Wendy accepted her drink with a wink and left a generous tip. She sauntered over to the center table and set down her glass. The game in progress froze. Half-breed Jake halted with his hand halfway to the pot. Sam had never been exactly sure what halves constituted half-breed Jake's ancestry, but from the man's appearance and the disposition, he suspected coyote involvement. The man was wanted in every other state of the Union and was a compulsive cheater. The other card sharks stared at the middle-aged woman looming over their table as she pulled up a chair. The thump of her drink on the table echoed around the saloon. She waited in silence, staring at them. When Clinton Rambler dealt her in without a word, her faint smile returned. Pete Gummerson, the oldest white resident of the town, hobbled up to Sam and ordered a quadruple whiskey instead of his usual double. Pete glanced at Wendy, then leaned in conspiratorially. You know the story of Wendy Rhodes, boy? Sam checked the other end of the bar, but Mom had everything under control. At the card table, Wendy put a gold nugget into the pot before she even looked at her cards. Half-breed Jake held her glance, but his knees trembled under the table. Sam returned to the old man and nodded. First, there's some folks that say she's from good German stock, but they're lying. She's from the Caltiki tribe. Pete considered himself something of an expert on tribal lore and earned his living by whittling authentic Cherokee medicine sticks for rich people in the East Coast cities. The Caltiki women are all warriors, and to prove it, they have to go out and kill a man before they've seen their 13th summer. Those scars are self-inflicted in blood rituals to prove they can endure great pain, Pete whispered. A few nearby patrons went silent and stared into their drinks, listening intently. Yeah? 
Sam couldn't imagine cutting open his face just to prove he could do it, but he'd seen men do stupider things. Of course, boy! How else do you think she knows how to ride a horse like that? Where do you think you get a skeleton horse except by conjuring it with fell Caltiki magic and prayers to their heathen horse god? Old Pete thumped his glass on the bar and shot a nervous look at the poker table where Wendy had just tossed an uncut emerald into the pot. Clinton Rambler folded. So, why does she always ride at dusk? Sam whispered. Pete grinned knowingly. It was a terrifying sight. That's because the Kaltiki tribe has enemies. There's a tribe of loop Garoo, skinwalkers. They worship a wolf god and turn into wolves at sunset. He nodded towards the pistols in her belt. She never takes that belt off, not even when she's bathing or making love. Keeps each gun loaded with silver bullets. She keeps running from town to town because she never knows when the wolf cultists will catch up with her. Pete gulped another dose of alcohol and slunk off to share his wisdom with the other customers. Sam wondered why Wendy also set out around sunrise if she owed her timetable to the predation of werewolves. He also reflected that Wendy Rhodes didn't sound like an Indian name. Wendy Rhodes cleaned up at the poker table. She left her drink untouched while their competitors fortified themselves with all the spirits they could swallow. At one point, half-breed Jake seemed to be winning, but then Wendy looked out the window. Right on cue, the death mount reared up, its hooves striking emerald flame. Its whinny sounded like the cry of a dozen mares trapped in a deep cave. Half-breed Jake was so startled he dropped his spare aces. He couldn't retrieve them while Wendy stared at him with her almost smile, and his game went downhill from there. Less than an hour later, Wendy scooped up the pile of coins, bills, and silver ore. The other players declined a chance to win it back. The woman tipped her hat and walked up to the bar. Wendy drained her glass and whispered something to Sam's mother, who called him over. "'You go out with Roy and harvest a bushel of grass from the cemetery,' Mother said, her voice quivering with urgency. "'From the unconsecrated section,' Wendy added. "'From the unconsecrated section!' Mother hissed. "'Get along now! Go!' Sam knelt over the grave of Emma Smith, a woman who'd outlived three husbands and shot herself when the suspicion became too much to endure. You know who Wendy Rhodes is, right? Roy said. Roy was six years older than Sam, and he never missed an opportunity to remind him of this. Perhaps this was because he was six years older than Sam, but still in the same line of work. Yeah, she's a warrior from the Kaltiki tribe, Sam said with a pretense of nonchalance. He grabbed the stocks and slashed with his sickle. Roy produced a noise somewhere between a sniff and a sigh. <laughs> Pete's been filling you with his horse shit again. Sam gripped another bunch of stocks. He didn't answer, which was answer enough. Wendy was raised a good Christian girl, but she don't obey any god, heathen or otherwise, Roy said. Sam fought a shiver as he wrapped up the bundles of straggly grass. Roy leaned in closer. Her husband was a missionary to lots of tribes, but he didn't pay attention to the troubles of his own household until it was too late. Sam tried to focus on clearing the grass from the four separate graves where the mob had buried Timmy Jigsaw Dorado. 
he failed. They were camped out on a long section of road between a dirt farming hamlet and a tiny dying tribe. He woke in the middle of the night, drawn by the smell of incense and the sound of chanting. Roy leaned up against a willow tree and tied off the string around his burden. Mr. Rhodes caught his wife in the final stages of her deal. Turns out that while he had been spreading the good word, his dearly beloved was betting on the other team. Roy stopped speaking and dislodged a blackberry seed from his teeth. Sam carved out a swath of withered grass and refrained from asking him to go on. Wendy might well be the most devious woman that ever lived. When she signed the unholy pact with blood, she pointed out a loophole in the fine print that let her reclaim her soul. Needless to say, her sponsor took out his fury on the nearest living things before storming off in a puff of smoke and brimstone. He ripped the living soul out of her husband and cursed the flesh right off her only horse. Roy paused for effect. Wendy Rhodes figured, you do your best with what you got. She used her dark learning to animate the beast with her husband's soul and bind it to her will. Sam handed Roy another clump of weeds. Tie this up. As soon as they reached the saloon, Roy shoved his half of the burden onto Sam and dashed around back. Sam stared at the skeletal horse. Nice, horsey, he said without much conviction. Sam set down the grass in front of the death mount. It bit up a mouthful and jerked back its head to swallow. Some of the grass burst into green fire. Most of it fell through. He wasn't sure the horse needed food, but it seemed to enjoy it. Sam began to relax. For all its alleged satanic origins, the beast had a benign temperament. It certainly gave him less trouble than Joker, the horse that had nearly split his head open when he'd been six years old. It didn't buck or bite. It also didn't act like a thing with a soul of a wronged man trapped inside it. He caught a hint of a smug cunning in its flickering eye sockets, but he'd noticed that personality trait in most horses. Sam walked back into the saloon, leaving the dead horse to its supper. Wendy wrapped up another poker game and fished the cow tongue from the bottom of her glass. Pocket bulging, she went outside to deposit the bulk of her winnings in her mount's saddlebags. She came back in, ordered the same dreadful mix, and sat down at the next table brave enough to play with her. While Wendy won the shirts off their backs, Sam picked up more gossip about her. Wendy had gotten the scars on her face from her twin sister in the cradle. The scars had come from a horde of demons. She was a necromancer who wrote the names of her enemies in blood, and she had cast a death curse with each of those cuts. Wendy wrote at dusk because she was a vampire that couldn't bear sunlight. Wendy set out during twilight because the light of the noonday sun or the midnight moon would drive her horse mad and make it carry her all the way to hell. Wendy left town by nightfall or dawn because she had to keep up with her father, the Morning Star. Wendy's horse had come as a bride gift from the Aztec Lord of the Dead. Wendy was the half-Irish descendant of the high priest of Epona, the horse god, and received the death mount as a birthright. 
Wendy was the little sister of Azrael. It's all because she's a half-Jew with a Mormon mother, Ted Cooper said, scouring Sam with gin fumes. I'll take your word for it, Sam said. I've got some duties to attend out back. Sam snuck into his bedroom, right between the stable entrance and a storage room. He pulled out a handful of coins and two tiny lumps of silver from his nightstand. Sons didn't need wages the way hired help did, but he'd managed to scrounge together some tips and Christmas money. He had a plan. Sam returned to the bar. He served a few more drinks, cleared a few more tables, and endured a few more outlandish speculations. Nobody left in the saloon was fool enough to risk their fortune in a poker game against Wendy Rhodes. She sat alone with a line of drinks before her and the crude matter that his mother served up as meat and potatoes. Sam pulled a chair out with one hand and set down a deck of cards with the other. Mind if I join you? Wendy was half drunk at the start of the game, though she hit it well. Sam knew he couldn't beat her. He didn't intend to. Sam looked around the room. Most of the rowdier customers had left, and Clinton Rambler had slunk off somewhere. Sam dealt out the cards. Sam played conservatively, but he lost anyway. After the seventh hand, he announced his intention to end the game. Leaving so soon? Wendy said, with her lingering smile. I'm not leaving, Sam said. The activity had died down enough for Mom to handle affairs. Anyway... She'd explain that entertaining customers was part of the business, so she'd understand. I want to play another game. Wendy reached for the deck. I was thinking of something older. Three questions for three questions. Wendy raised a single eyebrow. She shrugged. Are there any decent theaters within 20 miles of here? Sam blinked. It wasn't the question he'd expected. He racked his memory. I guess Springfield City has the Royal Mummers Theater. They put on some shows that don't involve women taking their clothes off. Wendy nodded. Your turn. Sam drew a deep breath. How did you get those scars? Badger, she said curtly. What? Sam said. He couldn't believe his ears. Wendy shrugged. It was a big badger and it got the jump on me. Now, do you have a sweetheart? Or someone else? Sam felt a blush fill his face. He was powerless to stop it. Um, no, not really. The faint smile on her lips didn't change at all. Well? Sam fumbled with his heavy lips and scattered thoughts. Why do you always travel at twilight? Wendy gave him a tiny nod as if to say, That's the first intelligent thing I've heard all night. Those are the only times when Mary can shadow ride. She jerked her thumb at her spectral mount. It had chewed through all the grave grass and stood alone, save for the creepy shadows. I just have to steer her into a lengthening shadow. She plunges into some kind of netherworld for a while and comes out in the shadow nearest my destination. It's at least four times faster than normal travel, and sometimes I can even beat the train. The horse reared up and there was a high scream. Outside, Clinton Rambler jumped back a knife in his hand and green fire clinging to his hair. He ran for the rain barrel. Wendy sighed. That won't help. Sam sat still while Wendy ran outside. 
The woman grabbed the brute by the scruff of his neck and wrestled him to the ground, slamming his head into the dirt. The flames died down. Make sure you put some aloe on that, Wendy called over her shoulder as she returned to the table. She leaned over just a bit too close for Sam's comfort. My last question is, why did you try to lose your life savings to me? Her smile covered her feelings like an impregnable fortress. Uh, to find this out, Sam gulped. Where did you get that horse? Wendy Rhodes allowed herself one genuine smile. I wanted off a guy with weird eyes in a poker game. Sam goggled. You can't be serious. Wendy raised an eyebrow. What do you think? Sam choked back wild laughter. He looked around and whispered into her ear. <laughs> I reckon that's the truth. And I reckon I'm the only person here who would believe you. That was The Death Mounts Rider by Spencer Coley. Oh, for the love of what now? Ah, they went that way. I do believe it's time for us to close this evening. That zombie looked like the real thing, and believe me, I know the difference. This episode was produced in October of 2016 and is distributed under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivative license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. We do like to hear from our listeners, though. You may find us on Patreon, Facebook, WordPress, or Twitter. Or, alternatively, send me an email personally at curiousgallery at gmail.com. For full show notes, do visit the gallery webpage at gallerycurious.com. That's all the time this time. More next time. Do join us again at the Gallery of Curiosities.